desire to speak to your people. And uh, Father, we just pray that today that would happen. We pray that you would have your way among us. Um, we pray that as Matt brings the word this morning, that you would please give us open hearts uh, to be able to receive it. Grant us repentance and faith uh, that we could continually um, be following you as your disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, just wanted to give a real quick introduction this morning to this guy coming up the steps here. I don't think he needs an introduction, uh, but some of you may or may not know him. Matt. Matt and Leanna Matt, as we like to introduce people here in Holmes County. Leanna's Matt. Um, uh, he's going to be bringing the word this morning. Just real quickly, uh, back, I don't know, maybe July or August, I'd ask you if you wanted to share. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. It's been like a couple that. of months. Um, and one of the reasons I want Matt, wanted Matt to share, I don't know if you guys, for those of you that were in here this morning for the, the opening, but Jen had mentioned, uh, you know, our mission statement, and just that grace is a really big deal for us. And grace um, that's found in Jesus Christ, okay, that doesn't just cover our sins, but also compels us to live lives that are worthy of him. Uh, grace is a really big deal, and you can define it a lot of different ways, but um, one of the best ways, I think, to understand grace is just to see it in the life of somebody who's getting it. And it's not that Matt didn't understand grace before, but just over the last several months, like the reason I wanted Matt to share this morning is it just seemed like Matt was kind of coming to like a grace awakening of, of sorts. Is that fair? That's true. Yeah, yeah. in his life. And so uh, that's why I asked him to speak uh, this morning. Um, I think it's going to encourage all of you guys um, for all of us, whether you grew up in church or not in church, and I know Matt's going to share a little bit of his story here this morning uh, concerning that, but man, guys, grace changes everything. That's all I want to say, is grace, grace changes everything, and so excited to hear you bring it this morning, buddy. Awesome. Welcome, Matt. Give him a hand. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I have to say that if you're wondering what I'm doing up here this morning, I asked myself that about 20 times as I climbed up those stairs just now. So I just ask that you'll bear with me. Um, I have most of my stuff written down, so if my nerves get a hold of me, I ask that you just hear the heart of what I have to say and not necessarily the delivery. Um, but I am excited uh, to dig into God's word with you this morning and just share a little bit about what my own journey has been. And I hope that someone here this morning can uh, gain something from it. Uh, you know, I know that there are those here that have probably gone through some of the same journey that I have, um, you know, from the, the background that I come from and so forth. And so I just hope that, uh, yeah, it can help somebody. But uh, because what I'm sharing this morning is a bit of a personal nature, um, I'm just going to go ahead and get started by just sharing a bit of my story with you guys. Uh, back uh, before 2020 really kind of went crazy, um, I think it was back in February of this year, uh, I began uh, meeting with Eric once a week as part of the discipleship program here. And aside from the peak of the lockdown, we, we did meet pretty much every, every week, I would say. Um, the meetings are pretty relaxed. Uh, typically, we just get together at Amish Country Donuts, free shout out. Um, and uh, just, we relax, study scripture, drink coffee, eat food, you know, things like that, talk about life. 
And it's been really good. Um, I was nervous at first, but to be honest, you know, a commitment of, you know, an hour, hour and a half a week really is not that much. At least I started to realize that because the growth that I saw in my spiritual life was pretty amazing. Um, I didn't realize how shallow I was. Um, Eric really helped me to understand how to look at scripture, um, how to mine it, and um, what to watch for. And so it's been really, really good, and I would encourage anyone here, if you have even thought about it, you know, do, you know doing discipleship, go ahead and do it. Um, the very, very least you can do is try. Um, and maybe you're here and you hadn't thought about discipleship, but you find yourself kind of uh, just at a stale place in life. Maybe you don't feel like you're going anywhere spiritually. Um, a program like this, I believe, is... Uh, the design that God gave for us in Scripture to grow the church. So I would encourage you to look into that. You can go to the website or talk to one of the elders if you want to try something like that. Uh, but it has been life-changing for me, and I believe it can be for you as well. Um, it was during these meetings that we began to work our way through the book of Romans. I didn't realize how amazing the book of Romans was. And we started... I think we started Romans in March, last March, something like that. And I've been reading from Romans ever since then, over and over again. I've read it several times. And there are times where I think, yeah, I've got this. I understand everything he's saying. And then there's other times where it just kind of runs together. So I, I think most of it is, you know, where I'm at personally at the time. But Romans is probably the most encouraging book I've ever read. Um, it gave me a new understanding of, God's plan of salvation in, in the gospel. Um, it really also began to expose some areas of my life that were rooted in beliefs that were not accurate. Um, some of them were maybe just had, had some truth, but in the end they, were, they weren't right. Uh, many of the, the ones that had good elements um, were actually not rooted in the word of God or in his, you know, in his spirit, but they were rooted in the traditions of man. The biggest issue was my understanding of works-based righteousness versus Christ-based justification that we accept by faith. And as it's usually debated, argued about, talked about, whatever other, other words you want to use to describe it, especially in this community, we kind of just throw it under the general... Uh, law versus grace. And if you think that politics can divide a community, I can tell you that there's probably nothing that divides the church more than those two words. And it's really, really sad. If you would have asked me, Matt, is salvation by grace or by works? I would have told you it's by grace. But my life would have told you that it's by works. I was raised in a wonderful family that truly loved each other, loves each other, and uh, grew up att attending a conservative Mennonite church. It was a great church, and uh, the church served God, showed his love to the world, and um, I learned a lot of great things there. And to my knowledge, nobody ever told me that salvation is by works. In fact, I would say it's the opposite. I was always told that salvation is by grace, but there was still something that didn't quite add up. 
The culture that I grew up in seemed to say that grace will get you in, but your works will keep you there. Now think about that for a little bit. Nobody really told me that, but just by being immersed in that culture, that was my belief. And as a result, I became really good at keeping the appearance of doing good, keeping the standard of the church, while in reality I was pushing every boundary that I could because my convictions were rooted in the traditions of man and not in the scripture or the promptings of the spirit. Beyond that, the good works that I was doing were for the benefit of myself and the recognition of others. They were not for God's glory. And I wasn't happy. I struggled with rejection, poor self-image, and trying to do what I thought others expected me to be. I was angry and rebellious, not always in ways that were obvious, although I'm assuming my parents and my siblings could say otherwise. But I always showed up to church looked the part, even if I was too hungover to get anything out of the message or the worship, I showed up. I, I dressed just right. I was a fraud. I was just checking off the boxes that were needed in order to avoid hell, never realizing the freedom I could have in Christ Jesus. I was the Christian that never voiced it, but secretly, I did not want Jesus to come back because I was afraid I was not good enough yet. And that's a really bad place to be, living your life out of fear. Fast forward a few years, and I'm happily married to an amazing woman, the love of my life. And I was enjoying church, um, marginally, I guess. Not completely satisfied, but it was better. Because I was living a, quote, better life. I felt better about myself. I felt better about my works. But I was still checking off those boxes for myself and for others. In 2013 or uh, 2014, I forget which, uh, Leanna and I decided to leave the church that I grew up in and we get, uh, began attending a church in Danville, Ohio. And we had enjoyed it for the most part. Um, despite a 45-minute drive every Sunday. But there was still something that seemed to be missing. Um, frankly, I, I think if it would be Mercy Hill, we would still be making that 45-minute drive. Um, but there was something that just didn't quite click. And we began having to make decisions like, okay, we're going to go to church today, and we're going to have to miss you know, this family event, or we're going to choose to skip church so that we can go to this family event. Well, uh, about that time, there was uh, one night where uh, Reuben and Laura, which would be Leanna's parents, uh, they invited us to go with them to a night of worship um, at the Barclay Center in New York City. Now, just to be clear, I did not want to go. If 45 minutes on a Sunday morning was too much for every week, then driving eight hours on a weekday was not really acceptable. But thank God, Leanna convinced me to go. And I'm glad she did because that night I heard the gospel preached in a way that I had never heard before. The gospel I heard that night provided freedom, hope, and best of all, it didn't depend on my veneer of righteousness, my acting, 
Where are my checkboxes? Something came awake inside me that night that I'd never felt before. Even though I'd been saved at the age of 10, baptized at the age of 16, I didn't truly understand what salvation by grace, what it really was. Yes, I was saved from hell, but that night in New York, I realized that I was saved for more than that. I was saved so that I could have a relationship with Christ, that I could have restoration of that communion with God. It was a free gift with no strings attached. It provided positional righteousness, not my own righteousness. It proclaimed me justified, not by my own works, but by the perfect life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the one who stands in my place. I went home that night and I felt like a million bucks, and it wasn't even the prosperity gospel. It was much more valuable, it was free, and frankly, it was the only thing I could afford. I was so excited about this gospel that I began getting up a couple hours earlier every morning um, just to watch messages on YouTube about this, this new gospel uh, before going to work. And uh, at work, I would listen to podcasts about it, and in the evening, I would watch more YouTube videos. And the thing that I began to learn, um, and this is just a bit of a side note, but so often when we come to understand grace and realize that we don't attain our righteousness by the law, we will tend to sometimes say that the law is bad and that, well, everything that the law says we have to throw out. Well, that's not true. Uh, what I found during this time was that um, I was called to a new standard of living, a new standard of conduct that I was drawn to, but I didn't live it perfectly, but I, I was drawn to it. It wasn't mandated by the church, um, but it was the Spirit guiding me in a new way, not for myself, not for others, but for God. And it was about this time that we began to look for a new church that would be closer to home. And our second week of church test driving, we ended up at Mercy Hill. A guy named Rick greeted us at the door with a handshake. And uh, we heard a message that focused on the true gospel. And as we left the parking lot that day, we looked at each other and we realized that we found home. And it's been home ever since. And we've been welcomed and, you know, everybody, I don't know everybody here, unfortunately, but um, I feel that this is family. And it's just really good to be worshiping with you. But the old ways die hard. And here's where the battle really began in earnest. It was a battle between my head and my heart. In New York that night, my heart or my spirit was in complete agreement with the message that was being spoken. But my head or my learned or experiential knowledge, I guess you'd call it, was screaming at me that, no, that is not what you've been taught. For some of you here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others probably don't, and that's fine. I'm hoping what I preach today can um, reach both of you. But if you find yourself in that place where you're battling between your head and your heart, it's very difficult. Um, it's destructive for the soul. And it, you know, it brings doubt not only in your own life, but it brings doubt about you know, those that you look up to for your whole life. You don't want to believe that somebody taught you something false intentionally. 
But the good news is if you are struggling with this, the answer is found in Scripture, not in the traditions of, or bylaws of any denomination or non-denomination for that matter. It takes diligence and prayer, but God will reveal his truth to you if you seek him. The process of testing our beliefs and solidifying your convictions will empower you as a disciple of Christ. It'll give you freedom to walk boldly in the path that God's chosen for you, and it'll help you grow in your faith. It'll bring purpose more than simply checking those boxes. So with all that said, you have a bit of uh, background. I want to address one of the biggest battles of belief in my own life. And so I'm going to call it justification. It's by grace, right? Today I'm going to be looking at Romans 5, um, although I will be bouncing around uh, through the chapter a bit and the rest of Romans. Um, you can just stay in Romans 5. I won't be touching on everything in the chapter, um, but I will be zoning in in a few places specifically. Uh, Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why don't we pray before we get further in?
Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for uh, the opportunity that you've given for us to gather here today, um, even in, in the midst of times that are trying and uncertain, Father. You've given us an opportunity to, uh, to just gather together as a family and that we can just uh, praise you, worship your name, and uh, just uh, grow deeper in our relationship with you. Father, I just ask today that you would um, just work through me that I might be able to uh, share what you've laid on my heart and not uh, to stand in the way of it, Father. And if there are any here today, Father, that have struggled with any of these issues, Father, I, I pray that you would just um, touch them. And Father, I just ask that you would uh, just go with us from here. Amen. So why do we need justification? Justification simply means that when we stand before God, he looks at our lives and said that with weighing all the evidence, our lives are right and acceptable, worthy of the reward. Now that's a pretty high burden to put on a person, isn't it? God is holy, he is just, and because of this he cannot overlook sin. There must be a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. As you look through the Old Testament, you see example after example of uh, sacrifice again and again. Just like in my own life, every time I would fall, I felt everything I'd ever done was wasted. It's time to start over, time to bring another sacrifice. Time to make another empty promise one that I would never be able to keep. It was a cycle of defeat, and there was no end in sight. I have a question. Do any of you guys ever feel this way? If so, I think you might be exactly where I've been, where I will continue to struggle, a, pro, a place I will continue to struggle to, to be at, I suppose, at time to time in my life. But there were some that were great at keeping the law, at least outwardly. And these were the Pharisees. Uh, it was their way of life, and they thrived on it. They even added hundreds of laws on top of the laws that God had given. But Jesus seemed to hold them in a certain level of disdain. And uh, frankly, it was just like my own actions. Their actions were only on their own behalf, making sure that everyone knew that they had it, that they were the good guys. But even their level of righteousness was not enough. If we look at Matthew 5.20, it says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, now get that, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is exactly where I was trying to earn my own righteousness, terrified that God would come back. You know, just hoping that he'd give me a little bit more time so I could be perfect. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, uh, if we look at Adam and Eve, they only had one rule, one simple rule. God told them that they could eat it of any tree in the garden, but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One command, that's it. Follow this one command, and you will have a per uh, perfect relationship with God. You won't know disease. You won't know hunger. You won't know strife, warfare. Perfect relationship, perfect communion. 
How many of us today, right now, would exchange what we are experiencing right now, the turmoil of 2020, for that kind of an experience? I bet there's a lot of us who are very weary, very tired, and would gladly go back to that. And we would think to ourselves, well, it's just one rule, I can keep it. Well, I promise you that every single one of us would break that rule. It's in our nature that we're going to test God. I like to think of it like this. Um, They could have had their cake and eaten it too, but instead, they chose to eat the apple. They chose to eat of the one tree they were not supposed to eat of. And with that first bite, Adam changed everything for the course of mankind. Uh, Forget about any nation or political party. COVID-19 is here in all the surrounding chaos because of Adam's sin. It all goes back to that. So instead of blaming each other, you know, maybe we should look back to Genesis and uh, look back there. He broke the perfect relationship with God. And through those actions, we all became part of the bloodline of Adam, which was a bloodline of sin. We see this by looking at verse 12 where it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. As descendants of Adam, we're already born sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some have sinned. It says we've all sinned. That means you, means me, means anyone that we come in contact with every day. We're all sinners. Therefore, we are not righteous. And without righteousness, not one of us can stand. Not one of us can stand before God's judgment throne and be justified. Without justification, we will spend an eternity apart from God. That's why we need justification. So, I would say that the big question, and I would argue not just the big question for this morning, but for any believer through all of your life, is how do I and how do you stand before God and be declared justified? We have two options and it's pretty simple. The law, where we stand on our own righteousness achieved through our own works, or by grace, where we stand upon the righteousness of Christ by faith. So I want to take a look at these two options just a little bit. Um, first, let's take a look at the law and our own works and see what Scripture has to say about it. Romans 3.20 says, for, the by, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, God, in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So here we see that the, uh, the very instrument that was given as a way to gauge or, or a standard for us um, to attain righteousness, the law, Uh, That very instrument, while it may not be bad in itself, it's not good enough to attain righteousness. Romans 7, 7 through 9, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. We cannot in our own power ever live up to it, 
By its very nature, it reveals sin, and sin as a result will become alive in our, in our lives. There's a, uh, a pretty simple illustration that I use, and I know that all, as Eric says, all illustrations break down at some point, but I'm going to try this one. Um, when you're driving down the road, how many of you have a goal to stay on the highway? Wow. I, I'm not going to go out on the road after seeing that raise of hands. Obviously, our goal is to stay on the highway. If not, I mean, you've got some other issues to work through. We can talk about that later. But when you're driving, um, the way you stay on the road is not by watching the guardrails. In fact, I'd argue that if you drive down the road and all you watch is the guardrails, you're going to be bumping into them. You're going to be rear-ending other vehicles. You're going to otherwise be causing chaos on the road. It's not going to look very pretty. But when you focus straight ahead on where your destination is, where your goal is, where your goal is at, naturally you follow that path. And it's not that the guardrails aren't there for a good reason. The guardrails are. Let's say you hit some ice or something like that. Thank God for a guardrail. But it shouldn't be our focus. It's not what keeps us on the road. And by the same way with sin um, and with the law, those guardrails are not what earn us our righteousness. Our focus needs to be on Christ. And it's good to have some guardrails in our life, of course. It should not be the focus. If you think back to the garden, Adam had one command and how often do you think he wondered, why can't I? I wonder if he just walked around and just kind of, you know, out of the corner of his eye, like just looked at the tree and was like, you know, why can't I? You know, surely it wouldn't be that bad. Just test it. And Satan, he knows our weakness. He knows the questions that we're asking ourselves. He knows just where to hit. And he came and he asked the very same question, why can't you? The tree was named the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when Adam bit into it, what happened? He became aware of his nakedness. He experienced shame and condemnation. He realized sin. Sin became alive in Adam at that moment. Would that knowledge have been revealed to him if he hadn't been into the fruit? My argument would be no, it wouldn't have come alive in him. The same way when we bite into or partake of the law as a means for our righteousness, the very thing that Adam experienced in that moment, we will experience ourselves. And instead of freedom through Christ, we will experience slavery to the law. Now let's think about slavery for a second. It's not a nice term. It's not a good thing to think about. And luckily, none of us actually have any experience with it. But I don't think any one of you would raise your hands and say, yes, I want to be a slave. If you did, it would just be voluntary labor. It would not be slavery. When you're a slave to something, it keeps you in chains. It binds your movement and it robs you of the joy of life, of your very freedom. But sometimes we find ourselves content in slavery. It is just good enough to keep us satisfied. I may not be free, but at least I have some safety. But what happens when the master decides that your cost versus reward is no longer good enough? 
I might, I might not be free, but at least I'm getting food, even if the food is the scraps that barely get you from one meal to the next, never being fully nourished. I may be alive, but I'm not fully living. That's where I was. And that may be where some of you guys are right now, not fully alive because you're living as a slave to the law. When I was a slave to the law, I didn't realize it. Uh, some of the things I would beat myself up over were not even in scripture. They were the rules or the suggestions of men. Um, but I equated them to the same level as the commands of God. And uh, when I broke one of the, those commandments, it brought the same cycle of shame and defeat that I would have, that I would have experienced for any other sin. And it's a shame because I look around this community and I see the very same thing that I think a slave would see. Do we have safety? I would say yes, for the most part. We're a very safe community, which is great. Do we have food? <laughs> we have more than enough food. But what about spiritual food? How many in this community are truly nourished? How many are actually eating that good diet of grace, understanding that we can rely on God and have a relationship with him instead of having a relationship with those check boxes and those laws. Are we truly living? As, as, a, you know, as a, a whole for this community, I would say no. And it's a great burden on my heart. The more I understand grace, the more of a burden I have for for this community, and I just hope and pray that each one of us here, that we can be a light, in the a light within the community, that we can help those around us who are living good lives. They're living good lives for the most part, but for the wrong reasons. And if we're living those good lives for the wrong reasons and we're looking to something other than Christ, frankly, you're not saved. And we probably know a lot of people. We might even have family members who think that they're going to heaven because they're checking off those boxes. And the fact is they're a slave to the law and they don't truly know God. It's time to break free of the chains of slavery. But as long as we work as a slave to the law, we will not have freedom in Christ. I want to look now at the second option, grace. I surely hope that clock is not right because otherwise it's 12 o'clock. It's not good. <laughs> I was going to say that's the fastest two hours. If we look at grace um, by faith in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice, Romans 8, 1 through 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, remember the guardrails, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This passage is so amazing. First of all, there is now no condemnation. That is awesome. How many of you like to feel condemned? I mean, it's great, right? You feel judged and, you know, you feel shame and you know that there's a punishment coming and there's just, you know, yeah, it's really good. It's not really. It's terrible. Yet, I chose to live in that for a long time, a cycle of condemnation that only brought on itself more condemnation, more failure. But like it says, if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. We have freedom. We don't have to live up to that standard. I mean, we want to. But if we fail, and not to be flippant about sin, but if we fail, we are forgiven. And we can still keep going forward and and living in victory. So how are we in Christ? It's pretty simple. We accept his sacrifice by faith. It's that simple. If you've done that, there is no need for you to feel condemnation this morning or at any point in your life. There is no shame, no guilt, and no secret fear that Jesus is going to come back before you're perfect. Paul goes on to say that uh, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. But I have a question. If it's God's law, why does he call it the law of sin and death? Isn't everything that, God, that comes from God good? Well, yes, it's pretty simple. The law is not bad. In fact, Paul says that the law is good. But he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. The key is that it's our own flesh that weakens the law. And because of our flesh, it is death to us. Yes, God gave the law, but he also gave the one who fulfilled the law by his own son, Jesus Christ. And if we look at where it says that through his son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, brought by the knowledge of the law, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, the sacrifice that is needed, might be fulfilled or done in us who walk not according to the flesh or our own efforts, but according to the spirit, faith, and following the Holy Spirit. Unlike the law, the spirit is living and active, um, it guides us day to day. It's kind of like a GPS if we're going with car analogies. It tells us where to turn. It says turn here. And it might say something like, don't smoke, drink, or true, or run with t- girls who do. I don't know where I've heard that. It was a very wise person, I think. I think I've heard it before. And I just I prayed to God that I could find a way to work that in today. So he is good, and he granted that. Whatever it is, the Spirit is living and active. He shows us a way. Since the law is fulfilled, our righteousness is no longer based on the law, but the one that has fulfilled it. Paul says in Romans 3, 21 through 22, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God is through what? Through faith in who? Jesus Christ, for who? For all who believe. Now the one interesting thing is, uh, excuse me. 
The one interesting thing is that uh, throughout Scripture, you will see at times Christ Jesus. Other times you will see Jesus Christ. Christ is uh, Jesus' heavenly or divine name. Um, Jesus is his earthly name. Now remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. When you see Jesus before Christ, Jesus Christ, uh, typically the writer will be referring to his earthly nature. If you see Christ and then Jesus, Christ Jesus, he'll be referring to the divine nature of God. Clearly here, it is showing that Jesus Christ, the man, lived out the perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, the fulfillment of the law once and for all. And how do we receive the benefit of that sacrifice? Once again, it's by faith. We can even uh, see an example of this righteousness by faith in someone from the Old Testament. In Romans 4, 3 through 5, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. He believed God and it was counted as righteousness. It goes on to say, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is, account, is counted as righteousness. Now, I have the great pleasure this morning of getting the youth involved, just because I can. Um, Lexi, uh, there is a little horse over here on the right. Can you take that horse and just bring it over to here? Yeah, that little horse right there. You don't have to ride it, just bring it over. Perfect, job well done. Here's your reward. A nice Reese's candy bar. Is Alex around? Oh, there he is. Alex, do you want a gift? Sure, all right, have a gift. You don't need to do anything, just have a gift. It's a little bigger, but I wanna give it to you. It's a very simple illustration, but I was hoping it would connect with those of you who respond more to physical illustrations. Lexi had the joy of coming up and moving a horse, and she got a tiny little candy bar by her own works. Sorry, Lexi. And Alex chose to say yes to a gift. He got a whole bag full. He's going to enjoy that for a lot longer than Lexi is. I can't hear what you're saying. It's all noise. But how many of you know what it's like to work for a paycheck? I'm assuming all of you do. Are you surprised when you get paid with your paycheck? No. And in fact, the paycheck is going to tell you a lot about your performance because, you know, it's going to tell you how many hours. You know, if there's a bonus, it might tell you how efficient you were. But there's no surprises for a paycheck. It is what you are due but how many of you have had somebody just come up and give you an awesome gift? I'm not talking Christmas, I'm not talking your birthday. Just give you a gift. Anybody? Paul, did it bring you more joy when you got that gift? It sure did. I'm sorry? It told him he was loved. This morning we're offered a free gift, one that we don't have to work for. And all we have to do is by faith say, yes, I want it. It's better than candy. It 
If we continue to look at Abraham's faith in Romans 4, 13 through 16, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As a result of Abraham's faith, um, you know, a bloodline of flesh and sin from Adam, from that same bloodline came the man, Jesus, as we were talking about before. But he was also born with a divine bloodline, um, and that's where the divine name Christ comes in. Now, Jesus didn't have any earthly children to pass on the earthly bloodline. But through his sacrifice, he provides a heavenly bloodline for us. And this is beautiful. And when you grasp this, it changes a lot of things for you. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, we are predestined for adoption as children. And sometimes we kind of skip over adoption, but adoption is beautiful. We have some great examples for, uh, of adoption in this church here. And if you think about it, adoption is somebody saying, I choose you, typically not in the greatest environment or situation, but I choose you, and you are going to be a part of this family, a part of this life, and you get the full benefit of everything. And that's the example that is used for us as children of God. We are taken from that bloodline of sin that we were born in, the bloodline of sin through Adam, and we are adopted through faith into a heavenly bloodline of Christ Jesus, and we become those fellow heirs with him. We receive the same reward. We see that adoption from one bloodline to the next in chapter 5, 18 through 19, where it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So those are the two basic choices that we have. And I just want to give you a few ideas on how we can apply these to our lives. Um, first of all, if you want to find out if you're sick, if you want to find out how educated you are, you take a test. Well, I have a test for you this morning. There are just a few small bullet points that might help you to determine where you are looking for your, for your salvation, for your justification, for your righteousness. If you are relying on your own works for righteousness, you will find these things in your life. You'll find more than these, but here are a few that I saw in my own. Lacking assurance of salvation. No joy in your relationship with Christ. Inability to overcome sin. Comparing your sins and struggles to the sins and struggles of others. That was a big one for me. You will find scripture to be a struggle, and you will have no burden for the lost. But if you're relying on the finished work of God, the sacrifice of Christ, you will find these things in your life. You will find a certainty of salvation. And why? Well, it's because Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Secondly, you will have joy in your relationship with Christ. Why? Because you are now in right standing with God. You're no longer at war, you're at peace. If you're not relying on Christ, you're at war with God. He's not making war on you, you're doing it. You will discover victory over sin because when Christ died, fulfilling the law, he took away the power of the law to condemn you. Now this doesn't mean you'll never sin, you will. We're still in a fleshly body. We're gonna fail. But when you do, God in his mercy is no longer looking at you, he's looking at his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where our positional righteousness comes in. That's where we get justification. You won't compare your sins to others because your new standard is higher than earthly standards. Although the, um, although the, sorry, I lost my place there. Although the power of the law is taken away, the spirit will guide you daily in obedience to honor and glory of God, not for your own check boxes. Our earthly standards are filthy compared to those of God. You will love God's word. Why? Because when you understand grace, you no longer see a book filled with impossible standards, but you see the story of Christ threading its way from the Old Testament all the way through the New. A story of salvation, a story of love, and a story of grace. And finally, you will have a burden for the lost. Why? Because in light of the grace shown to you, how can you ever be silent? Not only will you have a burden for the lost, but you will have a burden for those who claim to be saved, who are seeking salvation through their own works. Because if we believe consciously or unconsciously that even 1% of our salvation depends on our own works, even if we think that our saying yes to Christ, if we, if we take any glory in that, we're not saved because it's not of ourselves. Romans 4.2 says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Same way for us. If there's anything in our hearts that makes us think, well, we can earn it, we have nothing to say before God. If the worship team could come up, I just have a few more statements here. So this morning I stand before you and I proclaim that I am a sinner. But I am saved and I am certain of it. I am certain that when I stand before the throne of God, he will proclaim me justified and not by my own works, but by the finished work of Christ and in his perfect sacrifice. In that moment when he declares me justified, I will have full restoration of a true and right relationship with him, full communion for eternity. Sometimes I slip back into trying to earn my own righteousness, and this is a battle we face and we will continue to face. But when I find myself in that place, there's a simple little chart that I drew up, if we could have that on the screen. It's pretty simple. But this is the big question. How do we face or be justified in front of a holy God? We have two choices, law or grace. 
So those are the methods, law or grace. Um, one, we create righteousness through our own works. The other, we rely on the work of Christ for our own righteousness. What do, what do the two of those say about us? If we choose the left, which is the law, we choose, it shows pride. If we choose grace, it shows our own weakness. And finally, if we choose the law, who stands in front of God? Trying to be justified, we do. But if we choose grace, Christ will stand in our place. And so that begs the question, are you better than Christ? I don't think there's anyone here this morning that would say that, and it might sound really stupid to ask such a simple question. But in reality is, if we start taking up our own works and we try to use them to justify ourselves or to be righteous, we are saying to God that I and my works are better than your son Christ. So keep that in mind as you go from here. Um, one last thing. I don't know if uh, any of you remember Rich Mullins. I asked a couple people this morning. It was a 50-50 split. Um, but uh, he was a Christian singer and songwriter. He's no longer with us. He was killed uh, by a drunk driver. But uh, he had a song, and it's one of my favorite songs. There's a, a, a verse in there, and it says, So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for your gift of grace. We thank you that we can rely on you and that we don't have to rely on ourselves and that we can have full confidence of your, your joy and your salvation and your righteousness in our life. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling with this where the battle between the head and the heart, Father, I just pray that you would help them to see in your word the truth and that you would help them to defeat the enemy that's bringing those lies into their life. And Father, I just pray that as we go from here, we could be a light and a witness to this community, that we could bring just the gospel, the true gospel of salvation and of righteousness by Christ to those around us, Father. We just ask that as we go from here. Amen.